Good morning. You are listening to Seek the Word. This is a ministry grounded in the teaching of scriptural truth and based upon a desire for right biblical exposition and the holding of scriptural authority. I'm your host, Brandon Ritchie, pastor of Grace Community Christian Church in Plymouth, Indiana. We welcome you to like Seek the Word on Facebook, and if you have any questions, to please feel free to ask them through the Facebook page every Friday, as our broadcast will answer as many of those questions as time allows. Seek the Word is available through Podbean. Podbean has thousands of podcasts available and has an easy-to-use app to listen to Seek the Word Ministry. We are also available on iTunes if you go to Seek the Word Ministry. Our first episode last week dealt with the subject matter of scriptural authority, and we looked at how when scriptural authority is not upheld, it opens the door for false doctrines and false teachers. Today we're going to look directly at false teachers and false doctrines, what the scripture says about those whom distort the scriptures. Now we can rest assured that false teachers have, and false prophets and false doctrines are nothing new. They were around in the first century church. It's why so many of Paul's writings address these issues. It's easy for us to see why false teachings had been such an issue in the early church. The Jews had a background to some degree and a least knowing of the Old Testament prophecy. But the Gentiles whom were coming into the church were coming from an almost zero understanding, no background. It was all new to them. And they had been so engulfed in pagan practices, it was not like overnight they could shake many of those habits or beliefs. So in some instances, they attempted to morph what they knew of pagan practice with the very limited understanding of following Christ. And it results in false teaching entering into the church, at times having to be addressed. Now, as I say that, I could very well be speaking of countless churches and church practices today, because while the names of the movements and doctrines have changed, it's the same old problem that has been facing the church since the start. Today, there are many of these false doctrines filled with false teachers and false prophets that distort God's word and lead masses and masses astray. One of the largest movements right now that is dangerous and heretical is the New Apostolic Reformation or more simply known as the NAR. The NAR is a loosely connected movement that has infiltrated church bodies, sometimes unnoticed, and peddled their heresies to the congregation, oftentimes through hosting teachings at their homes, getting involved in home cell groups, and then inserting their distortions into the group. And when a church is not teaching and holding to and constantly preaching God's word and holding to scriptural authority, teaching right biblical theology to their congregations, then when these wolves enter in and they sound good to young, easily influenced new converts, then problems begin in the body. As pastors, the greatest way we can protect those whom we have been blessed with teaching is to teach them constantly scriptural authority and good biblical theology. We don't need to teach them how to think about topics of the day or what our opinions are on topics. When they have an understanding of God's word, then they will be able to weigh and discern any teaching and viewpoint against the scripture, allowing the scripture to dictate if the teaching is true or false. In in them will develop a, a, a biblical worldview, and they will see the world around them through the scriptures. The way the FBI trains its agents to spot counterfeit money is that they have them study and know the real currency so well then they can easily spot anything that is not real. This is what we must do to those entrusted to our ministry, is to teach them the scriptures so well 
that they can identify anything that comes along that does not align with scriptural truth. The NAR believe that God is restoring the lost offices of the church, such as the office of prophet and apostle. Well, Peter lays out the criteria to be an apostle in Acts chapter 1, and it consists of anyone who was to be an apostle had to walk with Jesus throughout his ministry and witness the resurrected Christ. Now, Paul was allowed to be an apostle due to his witnessing the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus and did so with the direct approval of the apostles. And Matthias was chosen to replace Judas as an apostle, not because Judas had died, but because Judas had a position. He had a post within the structure of the apostles, and they needed to fill that post. There's no record in scripture of an apostle being replaced merely because he died. There are no modern-day apostles. We need to be very clear on that. There were the apostles we see in Scripture, and then that office was no more. Their apostolic authority was needed early in the formation of the church and spreading of the gospel because there was no complete Bible at the time. There was no New Testament. They were living the New Testament out in real time. After the Scripture were whole and we had the written letters of the apostles and those written under apostolic authority, we have God's direct word. We have everything God directs us in and needs us to know in his scripture. He did not leave anything out. So the office of the apostle is no longer needed. Neither is the office of prophet because there's no new prophetic revelation. It is all covered in scripture. For someone to say that God is giving them a direct word would be either God is audibly speaking to them or is directly inspiring their word. Either way, that would then put what they say on an even ground of scripture in the authority department. This person could, and they often do, say anything they desire or feel to say and then claim no one can question it as it's the direct word or under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Listen, nothing that comes out of any person today, unless they are directly reading or quoting scripture from the Bible, is the direct word of God or is news, new inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Everything God needs us to know is, is within the scriptures. A couple of years back, there was a book that many churches, especially women's groups, did as studies. It was named Jesus Calling. It was direct heresy. The lady whom authored the book, Sarah Young, claims that she clears her mind and allows the spirit or God to directly enter her mind or communicate with her, and she records what he says. This is actually a Hindu New Age practice known as automatic writing. And for those who bought this book and were taken by this, if her words were directly inspired by the Holy Spirit or God or Jesus, then her words are equal to the scripture as they are in the direct inspired words, inspired words of God. Her words are not on par with nor nowhere near the scripture in any way. This book is merely the latest in those who have jumped on the infusion of New Age practices in Christianity to make a buck. They tell people what they want to hear. They appeal to their emotions and desires with direction, advice, writings that are broad and can appeal to any situation for application. And they sprinkle some misused, twisted scriptures in to appeal to those Christians who are more concerned with self-help and being a better them than actually focusing full attention on and full worship of God. Oh, and a later edition of Jesus calling came out, which was revised and corrected errors that were in the first printing. But wait, if this was the direct word of God or under direct inspiration of God, why were there errors? Because it's false 
heretical teachings. Really, any book that claims to be Christian, but is all about you being a better you, how can you be better? How your life can be more full, more wonderful, more inspired, and other emotionally triggered psychobabble words? Those books are not Christian. They are merely by people who had infused a little secular psychology with some uh, out-of-context scripture to focus on you. The greatest thing that has happened to in a general sense, to true Christianity in the last several years was the collapse and closing of the family Christian bookstore chain, which was the dominant peddlers of these self-help books masquerading as Christian and authored by wolves masquerading as sheep. When a Christian bookstore literally has a self-help section, that should tell us everything. You cannot help you. They have bought into the secular world's view of issues in people. See, secular psychology says your problem stems from something outside of you, and the answer lies within you, if only you can get your mind right. That is the direct opposite of what the scripture tells us, that our problem is in us, our hearts are wicked and bent towards sin, and the answer is outside of us, in the grace of God through his son Jesus Christ. For a moment, I, I want us to look at 2 Peter. Now, now the two letters that compile 1 and 2 Peter were, of course, authored by the Apostle Peter. To grasp the meanings in these letters, though, it's important to understand what was going on at the time of these writings. The city of Rome had just burned. The citizens of Rome believed that their very emperor, Nero, set the fire as a way to fulfill his desire to rebuild the city. To justify his rebuild, he needed to destroy Everything the Romans held dear was lost. Their temples, their schools, everything. And the citizens were hostile. Nero now had to divert the anger to someone else. So Nero blamed the Christians. This began extreme persecution of the Christians, and they fled Rome and scattered. These letters are, are to those Christians who fled. Most of, uh, most of them are Gentile, as the Roman church was dominantly made up of Gentiles. And they established themselves in congregations throughout Asia Minor. So these letters are to believers, believers who are in exile. In the time between the sending of the first letter and the second letter, some things had changed in these congregations. And like today, when people are desperate, maybe scared, they are a little more accepting of things, willing to grasp onto things in their desperation. And in the second of these two letters, Second Peter, the Apostle Peter has become increasingly concerned with false teachers entering into these churches in Asia Minor, and much of the second letter is geared towards warning the churches of the dangers of false doctrines that they were facing. Second Peter is the most graphic denouncing of false teachers in Scripture. Let's look at Second Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought, who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago was not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. We see right there in verse 1 that false teachers arose among the people. 
just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly be in bring in destructive heresies. Listen, at, at times in our churches, people outside our congregations will bring in false teachings. They are wolves who come in to destroy and devour the sheep if they can. They are directly in line with the enemy, who is a deceiver. Satan, since the Garden of Eden, has displayed his greatest instruments, his lies and distortion, by twisting God's word, attempting to manipulate and deceive God's people. That's all he has. He's the master of lies, and the truth is not in him. And so these false teachers are deceivers, they're liars, they're manipulators. And as we see, even in the first century, they entered the church. Now, in the first century, it was a, a direct head-on assault. But over time, as technology and modern advancements have been made, they have been utilized in, in these deceptions entering the church. Now, many believers sitting in churches today may go and hear the pastor preach on Sunday, and he preaches a light, no depth, a lot of fluff message. And so those in his congregation during the week attempt to supplement their teachings. Well, if the shepherd is not directing them towards biblically sound teachers, they individually are bombarded with heretical teachings and studies from health and wealth gospel heretics to life coaches appearing as pastors, televangelists, and celebrity-driven pastors who offer purpose in about 40 days. Understand, this is the modern way that wolves enter the church, not physically all the time, but through their network of teachings. It is why it is so important for the shepherd to know what the flock is eating and warn them regularly of these wolves. And listen, some of these wolves sound so good. It's how they deceive. They play on emotions. They appeal to your desires. They talk about how you can be better or how you can achieve. Listen, the only one in Scripture who promises those things this side of heaven is Satan. He tempts Christ with those very things. You're hungry. Eat. You want to be praised. Show them your power. You want earthly possessions. I can give you that kingdom. And how did Christ refuse these temptations? He said, it is written. And then he quoted scripture from the Old Testament. Why? Because God's word is authority. He knew it was about God's glory, not his earthly gain. Yet these charlatans are all about your gain. You're gaining confidence, you're gaining wealth, you're gaining possessions, you're gaining respect, you're gaining purpose. You, you, you. It's not about you at all. It should always, always be about Christ. Our focus should always be on God. A popular one of these books a few years ago that promised you would know your purpose in 40 days was everywhere, and the author was everywhere and was called the face of evangelical Christianity. Well, we're in trouble then. But this book, if it really wanted to let everyone know their purpose, it should have been one page and one sentence long. It should have simply read, your purpose is to glorify and praise God, period. Now, maybe that would be called plagiarism because a book already exists that tells us that that is our purpose. It's called the Bible. But like Jesus calling, this 40 days program of books was willingly brought into the churches and taught and put the emphasis off of God and on the individual. Now, there are many, many of these 
these heretical teachers out there. There are many of these, these motivational speakers who attempt to cross uh, commercialize their books by appealing to Christians by putting some scriptures in. I was once asked what offends me about Joel Osteen being an author or writing books. Listen, Joel Osteen writing books does not offend me. Joel Osteen calling himself a pastor offends me. If he wanted to market his books as solely motivational self-help books, that's great. But when he represents them as Christian and attempts to distort scripture, God's very breathed words to justify his claims, that offends me and should offend anyone who holds the scriptural authority. But these authors and the authors like them, they have their schemes working. Most have never met a scripture that they won't twist to make a buck. They enter into churches through their books and studies and undermine true scriptural teaching. Pastors must protect their flocks from these things. Now, obviously, other heresies are easier to spot, like the NAR practices and much of the charismatic movement. These practices look nothing like what we see worship in the scripture is laid out. Shouting, hollering, babbling, nonsensical, fainting, jumping, and convulsing. And in nowhere matches the work of the Holy Spirit in scripture. And if anyone points you to Acts 2, direct them to Acts 2, 1 through 13 where when the Holy Spirit arrived, the apostles were speaking in known languages, the languages of those in the crowd from other areas outside Jerusalem, not some type of nonsensical babble. The practices of these charismatic NAR churches look closer to the Hindu cults in India, the Kundalini cults, where the spirit of the Kundalini overtakes these people and they convulse and shout in weird, incoherent babble, laughing uncontrollably, act like animals, and so on and so on. That's not how the Holy Spirit manifests anywhere in Scripture. Any teachings that do not directly align with scriptural authority are outside the bounds of Christianity. We do not decide how God is to be worshipped. God laid out how he is to be worshipped in Scripture. These teachings can enter a church secretly, according to verse 1 of our text, Meaning people either hold to these teachings, um, they will come in and conform in order to eventually inject these heresies on who they can, or they are brought in by various forms of media, sometimes by those in the congregation, other times by leaders who have a relaxed attitude of what type of studies take place in their churches. Leaders should understand the dangers and weigh any study that they are looking at using in their church against the scriptures and look at the author and weigh their life and ministry against the scriptures. Let God's word be the standard. Sadly, though, look at verse 2 of our text. In 2 Peter, uh, 2 Peter 2, verse 2, it says, Many will follow their sensuality. Listen, there are many people sitting in church today who claim to be Christian, but they refuse obedience to Christ. They still live for the world. They still live for their worldly desires and passions. They're not led by God's word, but their emotions. These teachers, these teachings, these studies, they prey on those people. Listen, the latest Barna polls show an outstanding number of people today who claim to be Christian and attend church regularly deny the virgin birth. They deny Christ's deity. They deny the bodily resurrection. And they deny the return of Christ. Understand, these are all paramount to hold to the Christian faith. 
So it's no wonder that so many in the church are deceived when they do not even hold to the very pillars of the Christian faith. Years, years and years ago, centuries ago, councils were held to draw lines according to the scriptural standard as to what was inside and outside the boundaries of Christianity. Today in America, the culture is so indoctrinated with an all-inclusivity that Christianity and the Western culture is throwing out the very tenets that define it as the Christian faith. It's now an anything-goes, any-belief-is-okay mentality, and you can call whatever you want Christian. Listen, we do not get to say we're playing Monopoly, use the board from Parcheesi, the pieces from Chess, and the rules from Candyland, and still be playing Monopoly. You are not a Christian if you throw out the very things that define the faith and replace them with everything that is in direct contrast to the faith. We need to have a good old-fashioned counsel and start reverting to the scriptures as to what Christian worship and life is. This verse uses the term sensuality because it's their desire. These people will follow their desire. Their desires are their authority. They are led by their desires, not by God's word, not by the Holy Spirit, Spirit which guides us in God's word. Verse 3, we see the leaders of these heresies outed by their own desires. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. See, in these prosperity preacher programs, in these health and wealth teachers instructions, it's all about how God wants you to experience the fullness of life, wealth, health, career. Give more and you will be blessed more. Buy their books and videos and you will be a success. But the only people getting wealthy are the heads of these scripturally distorting pyramid schemes. Listen, nowhere in the Bible does God promise that your life here on earth is going to be one of success or one of wealth or material gain or that you're going to have a great career or that you're not going to be sick, or you're going to be illness-free, or that you may not pass away sooner than you feel you should pass away. None of that's promised in the scripture. What is promised is eternal life. What is promised is eternal life with God for those whom have faith in Jesus Christ. This is, this is the promise. And God is faithful to his promises. We see that throughout scriptures. So our focus is not to be on our life here. Our focus is to be on our treasures in heaven. On our eternal life in heaven, which is going to be spent glorifying God and in God's glory. If a if a pastor claims to need a private jet to spread the gospel, he's a heretic and a liar. Evidently, he doesn't feel those, those other people flying commercial are worthy of his gospel presentation. I guess they can just buy his book. When a pastor is pushing a wheelbarrow around filled with cash and checks directing attention to it instead of God, he's a heretic. These men have become so bold in their blasphemy that they are shoving it right in people's faces today. And any self-proclaiming pastor 
who would join in ministry with these men, share a stage with these men, support these men, give any credence to these men, or the women who attempt to teach these this nonsense. They're not just, or they're just as much a heretic. It doesn't matter how many thousands they deceive, how many football stadiums they pack. They are appealing to men's sinful, worldly lusts and desires. And those who sit under these teachings are not becoming more like Christ. They're being scammed and becoming more like the heretic that they are listening to. This is a real danger. This is a real problem in our churches today. And far too often, many pastors have taken a very a very lackadaisical, uh, a very apathetic approach to this. As long as people keep showing up, they don't care what their people are, are listening to or hearing. Or How dare they? They've been entrusted with the care of the people that sit under their ministry to feed them the word of God and to, to disciple them. And if they are sitting there allowing these teachings to infiltrate their body, to infiltrate their congregations, to, to be taught, shared, or for someone they know sitting in their ministry to par be partaking in these heresies, they might as well be teaching these heresies themselves. And we need as pastors to be very careful of who we align ourselves with in ministry. I was once asked why, why I, I struggle with working with other pastors at times or um, sharing in ministry with other pastors because anything I place my name to or in, I'm telling my congregation that I'm okay with. And if it doesn't align with the scriptural authority, I'm not okay with it. And as pastors, we shouldn't be. It should trouble us when we see others who claim to be pastors, others who claim to be teachers of the word, distort, manipulate, and blaspheme the word. Look at the end of verse 3 of our text here. Their destruction is not asleep. Peter is personifying destruction as if it were a person, almost, and, and he's letting them know that, that this person is fully awake and knows what these heretics are doing, and their destruction is inevitable. God is a God of truth. He is a judge, and he will judge all these liars and deceivers, manipulators, and distorters of his word against the very word in which they distort, blasphemy, and use to their advantage. Steer clear. If you want truth, go to the scripture. If you want to know your purpose, go to the scripture. If you want to know who you are and whom God is, go to the scriptures. Scriptural truth is why we started this ministry, and it is at the heart of any ministry which desires to see God glorified, which should be the goal of everyone preaching the word from a pulpit. Not entertainment. Not just appeasing people to get them to come back in but to truly care about their salvation, to truly care about their walk with Christ. This should be our desire as pastors. This should be our desire as teachers. 
And we need to guard the flock against the wolves and the poison that can come in and distort, disrupt, corrupt our churches. And it comes in now at a much more rapid rate with media. I mean, people can sit in a pew at church now and bring up YouTube and watch all kinds of heretics while being preached to out of the Bible uh, by the, the pastor, the live pastor there at the church. It's a, it's a very dangerous world when heresies are so easily at our fingertips now. So we have to teach our people how to discern and we have and weigh things against the scripture to think scripturally. We have to teach them how to develop that, that scriptural worldview by seeing everything through the scripture. Scriptural truth. It's what we need to hold to. It's what we need to preach. Because within that scriptural truth are the truths of who God is, who Christ is, what he's done, why we needed him to do it, and it's the gospel. And that's what saves and radically changes lives. And that's what glorifies God. We want to invite you, if you're in the Plymouth area, around Plymouth, Indiana. We want, to, we, we want to invite you to Grace Community Christian Church, located at 612 East Jefferson Street, Plymouth, Indiana. Service times are Sunday morning at 11 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, Seek the Word, and to remind you we're available on iTunes. We want to thank you for joining us today, and God bless.